It's Friday, May 8th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, states across the country are starting to reopen. Why did the White House block new guidelines intended to help them out? We'll explain. Then, the unemployment rate has officially reached Great Depression levels of bad. We'll tell you why those numbers might not even tell the full story. And finally, we have some news of our own to share. So, stick around. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. This episode is brought to you by Klarna, a better way to shop. Our first developing story has to do with the big question on everyone's minds lately. How to reopen parts of the country while keeping people safe. This week, we learned that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had prepared detailed guidelines for state and local officials to help them figure out how to safely reopen restaurants, churches, daycare centers, and schools. According to new reports, these recommendations were set to be published last week. But the CDC was blocked from doing so by the White House because it said the guidelines were, quote, overly prescriptive. This disagreement over the CDC's guidelines is highlighting a larger tension between the nation's top health experts and the White House. In the past, the CDC has taken the lead in providing guidance and information during public health crises. But amid the COVID-19 pandemic, the White House has taken center stage. You might remember it issued its own guidelines last month, which experts say were vague. That's because the White House doesn't think it's the federal government's job to tell businesses how they should go about doing things. And it says that strict guidelines could be harmful to the economy. And so the White House has largely left it up to the states to decide when and how to reopen. But in order to do that safely, some local leaders and business owners say they need clearer information because a lot of the federal guidelines are open to interpretation. So what's happening now? According to both CDC and White House officials, the guidelines are being revised. So watch the space. In the meantime, at least 24 states have already started to reopen their economies and ease stay-at-home orders. And more are scheduled to follow soon. Our second headline today is about the latest unemployment rate. Yesterday, you heard us talk about the latest jobless claims, which track the number of new people who have filed to receive unemployment benefits. 33 million people over the past seven weeks. Today, we got the latest unemployment rate from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It measures the total number of people who are unemployed and looking for work divided by the total number of people that make up the civilian labor force in April. Today's rate, 14.7%. Translation, the U.S. lost a total of 20.5 million jobs during the month of April. And this rate is the highest since the Great Depression. Okay, sounds bad, but keep in mind this new figure doesn't paint the whole picture. Here's why. For one thing, some people who still have a job might not be working the way they're used to. Like, even if their hours or pay were cut, they're still counted as employed. But it's not exactly rosy. And also, there were some issues gathering this data. Part of the process includes household surveys through in-person interviews. But due to the pandemic, that obviously didn't happen. Also, keep in mind that the way the government counts who is unemployed is also tricky. It tracks people who are unemployed but actively looking for work. If you're not doing that because there aren't jobs available or because you're scared to go back to work, 
you aren't included as part of the equation. Experts say that it could take years to recover from this. But today's data shows that there's also a surge of Americans who classified their unemployment as a temporary layoff. That means as states make moves to reopen, some people may be able to return to work sooner. In the meantime, if you or a loved one is unemployed and are looking for resources to help, we've got you covered. Head over to theskim.com slash unemployment for more. And finally, we want to give you some context about a name you may have seen a lot in the news today, Tara Reid. Reid accuses presidential hopeful and former VP Joe Biden of sexually assaulting her in 1993 when she worked in his Senate office. This story has been building for a few weeks now, as media outlets have tried to corroborate the allegation. While five people have come forward to say Reid told them about some part of the incident, reporters have been unable to confirm her story with others, including former co-workers from Biden's office. Reid also claims she filed a complaint in the Senate after the incident, but so far, no one has seen that complaint. In the meantime, other things have surfaced, including a video that appears to feature Reid's mother calling into the TV program Larry King Live in 1993 and asking for advice about what her daughter should do because of problems with a senator. And now two newspapers obtain copies of a court document from 1996 that states Reid complained to her ex-husband about sexual harassment she experienced while working in Biden's office. The other thing putting Reed's name in the headlines today is that she sat down for an on-camera interview with journalist Megan Kelly. Kelly is no longer with a major TV network, so yesterday she released some clips from the interview online. In them, Reed called on Biden to drop out of the race. You and I were there, Joe Biden. Please step forward and be held accountable. You should not be running on character for the president of the United States. She also said she would testify under oath and take a polygraph if Biden took one, too. So what is Biden saying? Biden has denied Reid's allegations. Last week, he addressed them for the first time on TV. Here he was on MSNBC's Morning Joe. I'm saying unequivocally, it never, never happened. And it didn't. It never happened. These allegations are coming at a pretty critical time for the 2020 campaign, as Biden is now the presumptive nominee against President Trump. Reid is the only person who has come forward with claims of sexual assault against Biden. But it comes after previous allegations made by several women that the former VP had made them uncomfortable. He has since apologized and promised to be, quote, more respectful of people's personal space. On top of that, Reid's allegations have set off a new line of criticism against prominent female leaders who've come out in support of Biden. Critics say their support of Biden goes against their support for the Me Too movement. All that being said, the story probably won't go away as the campaign season continues. So keep an eye out for it to evolve. One more thing we need to update you about. Yesterday, we told you about Ahmaud Arbery, a black man in Georgia who was shot and killed in February after being pursued by two white men in a pickup truck, Gregory and Travis McMichael. Since Arbery's death, there had been no arrests, and an early prosecutor assigned to the case said the McMichaels had acted within the law. But this week, a short video surfaced online, allegedly showing the moment when Arbery was killed. And it sparked nationwide outrage, as well as calls for a formal investigation. Well, just a few hours after we published our show yesterday, 
we learned that the two men who had pursued Arbery that day have been arrested and charged with felony murder. The director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which was called in this week to help investigate, said his team had found enough probable cause to arrest the two men. And he talked specifically about the video. Is it the only piece of evidence? Is it the only thing in this case? No. But is it, is it important? Absolutely. The investigation is ongoing, and the GBI director said they're also investigating the person who shot the video. But with judicial proceedings on hold till mid-June because of the pandemic, it may take even longer for this case to finally be heard. Like we said, there's a lot happening right now. To keep up to date on the latest news, including headlines about COVID-19, head over to theskim.com news. If you're like us, you've probably been trying to stick to a budget. But there are definitely items you still need, especially during a time like this, which can make it tricky. That's where Klarna comes in. They make things smoother. They're a shopping app that lets you shop from your favorite online stores and gives you exclusive deals. Plus, they'll even send you notifications when the price drops for items on your wish list, so you can have a smooth shopping experience. Head to Klarna.com to discover a better way to shop. That's K-L-A-R-N-A dot com. And now we're partnering with Klarna to press pause on the latest developing stories and share something that will make you smile. Heads up, Mother's Day is Sunday. Yes, this Sunday. And if you're feeling like you want to give mom a little something extra this year, you know, given everything, you're not alone. According to a new report by the National Retail Federation, 78% of consumers say Mother's Day is important to them this year, especially given the pandemic. Nearly half are ideally hoping to plan an activity with mom, which might be more realistic for some than for others. So consumers are planning to make it up to mom in other ways. Last year, consumers on average planned to spend about $205 on Mother's Day. Dinner out, card, gift, it all adds up. This year, they plan to spend about $8 more than that. And younger consumers are going to go the electronics route, getting mom a home device or something like that to make it easier to check in. Regardless of how you plan to celebrate the mom in your life, remember to stay safe and healthy. No matter your situation, sometimes you just need to press pause. And every week, we send out an email with some of our favorite things to help you take a break. To sign up, head on over to theskim.com slash press pause. Hey, this is April from Denver, Colorado. I just wanted to give a shout out to everyone that's a faculty or staff member at all the higher education institutions around our nation right now. It's been really hard trying to figure out how we're going to get students back on campus in the fall and what that even looks like. So thanks to everything that you're doing to all the faculty and staff figuring this out. And we can't wait to be on campus again with you real soon. Bye-bye. And that's all for Skim This. Also, we have some news. We're going weekly. Instead of every weekday, we'll be in your feed every Friday, starting next week. And we're becoming morning people. So keep an eye out for us in your feed next Friday morning and every Friday after that. There's a lot going on in the world right now. The Skim is here to help cut through the noise and make it easier for you to understand how the news impacts you. 
In this current climate, we feel like the best way to do that is to skim the news from the past week and add context and clarity and answer the questions that are on your mind. Thank you so much for listening this week and every week. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 